I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. And I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It's great to have you. It's August 4th, and I have a wonderful show for you this week. In the first segment, Devil's Advocate is being replaced by I Dream of Jesse, Episode 4, Essentialism. In the Infernal Informant, surge in Satanism sparks rise and demands for exorcists, says the Catholic Church, so you know it's true. And the U.S. extends closure of diplomatic posts in Muslim world. That's right, not Muslim, Muslim. <laughs> in the creature feature, I talk with Reverend Shiva Rodriguez. Help the werewolves of Predatory Moon. And if we have time, I've got a weird little bizarre, bizarre blurb for you. I'm not entirely sure we will, but if we do, you'll get a be punished with it. Before I start, I. This week I found myself in a, a bit of a fix. <laughs> I I add on projects to my schedule without really thinking about what it's going to do. Well, okay, let me, let me put it like this. Without any additional projects, just my professional career and my family life, I'm a very busy human being. I mean, I, I literally have hours in the week to screw around because it takes that much time. And so in those hours in the week, I fill it up with nine cents, this radio slash podcast. It takes a, a significant amount of my time to plan, coordinate, interview, and record, produce, and then publish. It's it, it takes a lot out of my spare time. On top of that, I have just standing websites that need attention. I have social networking sites that need attention. I have multiple projects on top of all this that I'm trying to get out. And because I am maybe just retarded, like absolutely stupid retarded, I think I can just tack on a little bit more because my family doesn't hate that I spend so much time doing these other things yet. <laughs> They do now. So I started this new project, that I, and I gotta, you know, to be fair, I'm very, very excited for it. It's uh, literally once-in-a-lifetime experience. Um, I, I'm very, very happy to be a part of the team and to be doing my small part of this project, and it'll be announced shortly-ish. <laughs> but it's taking so much more time than I had originally anticipated. One thing that I am horrible at and just because there's so many variables involved, it, it's hard to get a, a real solid handle on, is project management estimate. So I tell myself, well, this is only going to take me X amount of time. And then, yes, it does. But then I realize that there's so much other things that need to be involved 
outside of just either the design or the execution of said project. Um, and and that's kind of where I've found myself right now. I'm I'm really at a point where I'm starting to get the full scope of the magnitude of what I've just taken on. <laughs> and after spending two weekends uh, working on it, I'm quickly realizing it's going to take many, many more before it's finished. And I don't, you know, I'm not complaining about it. I'm just, I hate that I can't anticipate what it's actually going to take to complete a project. It drives me crazy. So, you know, I have other outstanding projects that I should have learned from and then just professional jobs that I should have learned from. But for some reason, and I'm, to be fair, I'm a very fast person when it comes to designing and producing things. Um, I don't like to sit on my ass. I like to move forward and get things done. I very much want to finish a project that I'm on to move on to the next one. But this one, man, it is just taking a lot of time. Uh, so you will be hearing about it shortly. Rest assured. <laughs> sure you really care. But it is coming. Uh, big news on that front. Oh, yeah. Hey, guess what? The new edition of Old Nick Magazine is out. And I happen to be in it again. <laughs> so check it out, man. Old Nick Magazine is a fantastic uh, adult, I, I would say gentlemen's, but I know a lot of women who read it, so I would, I'll just say adult magazine. Uh, fantastic articles, beautiful women, and some information that is germane to us. The satanic in this world. Check it out. You can get your digital copy or your physical copy ordered online. Just check out oldnickmagazine.com and you should be able to find it or just Google that and you'll you'll find it. Uh, very excited about that. And it was funny doing that photo shoot for that uh, little uh, one-page blurb uh, because I had pl I had scheduled another photographer to sit in and, and do the photography for it. Which would have been amazing, but it ended up with, see, here's the other thing. I know my shortcomings. I, I'm honest with who and what I am and what I'm capable of. Every once in a while I try to sort of break out of that mold. Uh, and uh, this photo shoot proved that though, like any other monkey, I'm capable of taking a picture, it is, uh, it's a skill set. It is, is a profession uh, for photographers, and I absolutely, totally respect them. And if mine didn't fall through, I would have probably had a much better photo for my little blurb in the new issue of Old Nick. But still, I think it's pretty good, and I'm pretty happy with the way it turned out. Um, so, uh, before I start the show, one last little bit of information. The Greater Magic episode is coming up in October, and I've gotten a couple questions that I've asked for. If you want to be a part of this historic Nine Cents event, this is going to be the third Greater Magic episode. I would love for you to submit a question. Now, this episode is going to be focused around the fringes of Greater Magic theory and practice. So this is going to be very much a non-traditional style that I've done uh, in previous years uh, of this. So... I hope you're going to be contributing. It's going to be a big fucking deal, so please submit your questions if you have them, and if you don't, enjoy the episode as it comes. That's going to be coming at the tail end of October. So, 
been chatting for a couple minutes here. How about we just start the podcast and, uh, yeah, if we have time, I'll do a little Bizarre Bizarre. All right, I Dream of Jesse. Jesse! What do you want? Well, first, Jesse, I'd, I'd, I'd like you to dress me as master. I, I am your master, after all. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yes, master. That's better. Now look, I've got guests coming over tonight, and I want you to entertain them. What, do I look like a belly dancer? Oh, I, I assume that was part... I mean, the outfit, it, it kind of suggests... You may be used to dance. Listen, the gin put me in the bottle. He forgot to add the preservatives. Now, the outfit may be wrinkle-free, but what in it ain't. You don't like it? Call the number on the bottle and complain. Back in 2010, an auction was held to benefit the James Randi Educational Foundation, the JREF. If you haven't heard of them, they're a group that promotes skepticism and critical thinking skills. One of the ways in which we think uncritically is called essentialism. Essentialism is the idea that an object can somehow contain a bit of a person's history. A common example given is to imagine how you would feel about an old sweater and an old sweater that once belonged to Adolf Hitler. Once you're told Hitler wore it, you notice your feelings towards the sweater change. So if skeptics are aware of and trying to avoid essentialism, it should play no part in a JREF auction, right? Well, in fact, one of the items auctioned was a used piece of duct tape from the TV show Mythbusters, donated by Adam Savage. This bit of TV show garbage should not have been in demand, but people did bid on it, and granted it was for charity, but the final bid was $650. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say whoever bought it, if just asked for a check to support the JREF, would not have given so much. The duct tape had added value, and not from any practical use. It had added value even to people calling themselves skeptics and supporting the views and values of the JREF. Why did essentialism work its magic in this setting? I believe it's because we are all both irrational and rational. And here's where I differ from the values expressed by the JREF. I wholly agree with their promotion of critical thinking, but I don't reject uncritical thinking out of hand. It's a matter of context. I like Mythbusters. I really like Adam Savage. I mean, almost to the point of having a fangirl crush on the guy. If I bid $650 and won his used duct tape, I would hope, really, really hope, that my rational mind wouldn't kick in after the fact and spoil the fun for me. If I want to really enjoy irrationality, I have to get my rational mind to set some boundaries beforehand. Irrational mind. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, there are so many famous people here. Rational mind. Yes, and this is a charity event, so they're going to be asking you for money. Bring cash to the limit you can afford and leave your checkbook and your plastic behind. If I thought it through beforehand and 650 bucks was the max I could spend and I blew it all on Adam Savage's duct tape, I'd have the right to be thrilled. No guilt, no shame, fuck anyone who calls it irrational. It may have been irrational, but it wasn't stupid. See the difference? Essentialism has aided many a Satanist with a curse or a love charm, provided they have an object belonging to the person they hate or desire. I can still remember the thrill it gave me to wear my now-husband's jean jacket back when we first met and he accidentally left it in my car. At the time, I'd never heard of Satanism or Essentialism, but the magic worked nonetheless. Essentialism need not be limited to items belonging to others, either. You can pour your own essence into an object and then call upon it as needed. This is known as a dedication ritual. 
My bell is my most cherished tool in my altar. I pick it up, and before even ringing it to clear the air, I see it, and I see the incense smoke curling around it. I see it, and I see salt water dripping down it. I feel it, and I remember how it felt in my hand the first time I raised it up in its dedication. My own history is imprinted on this bell. In a flash, it all comes back to me, all of it, before I've even started my ritual. Perhaps you've had a similar experience with one of your tools, but consider the rest of the history that tool has. My bell came from an antique shop. Who knows how many people picked it up and set it down? Who knows how many snotty-nosed children rang the bell with vacuous grins on their faces while their parents ignored them, all to the shopkeeper's annoyance? I don't think about that during rituals, do I? I mean, that's also essentialism, but it's unproductive essentialism, and therefore stupid. See the difference? What got me thinking about essentialism and the usefulness of irrationality was when I learned a couple weeks back that a man who had been a fairly prominent Satanist had left the church. Now don't go thinking this is breaking news hot off the press. For all I know, the guy left months ago or years ago. It doesn't matter. What matters is when I found out some guy I'd never even met and only knew through his work had left the Church of Satan, when I found this out, I was truly disappointed. I wanted to know why he left. I found myself getting angry with the guy and angry with whoever else might have been involved in his departure. And it took me a few minutes before I could figure out why I even cared. If you can understand essentialism as loading up some physical object with a lot of emotional baggage that's all in your head but no less real for it, then perhaps you can understand why I don't think essentialism need only apply to physical objects. Why can't I take a concept like Satanism and load that up with emotional baggage? Call it a Satanism complex. To be clear, Satanism is the philosophy and rituals laid out by Anton LaVey, and the only people who can add to it or clarify it are those who administer the Church of Satan. So I'm not trying to redefine Satanism. What I am doing is altering my own Satanism complex whenever I see or hear of actions of other people I consider to be Satanists. I don't mean to do this, and up until recently I wasn't even aware that I was doing this. But boy am I glad I'm aware now. Unproductive essentialism would have me feeling bad about myself and my church, all because a guy I've never even met chose to leave. That's just stupid. Productive essentialism is essentialism practiced only when it will help me. It will still allow me to feel a part of something much larger when I begin a ritual. Rational mind. Latching on to other Satanists' accomplishments to give my own life worth is pathetic and despicable. Irrational mind. But it's so cool to be a Satanist because other Satanists are so cool! I don't think it's wrong to feel both ways about it. We're all rational and irrational. Why fight our nature? As long as you set some boundaries for your irrationality, you can rejoice in the usefulness of both kinds of thinking. Psst. Hey, hey. Hey, come here. Psst. What? Huh? Me? Do I know you? Man, you're religious, man, aren't you? No more than anyone else. Listen, listen, I got a secret. It's, it's been eating me up, and I gotta share it with someone. Get the fuck out of here, kid. I don't know you. No, listen, man. It's about you. It's about your life. You're about to have what, what alcoholics refer to as your moment of clarity. What are you talking about? Are you okay, son? Sins are indisposable to every society organized on an ecclesiastical basis. They are only... Reliable weapons of power. The priest lives upon sins. It's it's necessary to him that there be sinning. Who the fuck are you, kid? I'm your infernal informant. 
Uh, this is the telegraph.co.uk. Thank you very much, Darren Deeside, for posting this. Surge in Satanism sparks rise in demand for exorcists, says Catholic Church. A surge in Satanism fueled by the internet is... <laughs> I love it when people do that. They they like fall back on the internets as like a negative. There's more people falling out of religion because of information spread so easily by the internet. You would think, I don't know, rational thinking would champion something like the internet, the free transmission of information worldwide instantaneously. And we're speaking of it as if it's a negative, as if it's like a horrible thing. People are realizing that religion is full of shit because of the internet. We must block the internet so we can go back to 1943 style of thinking. That was when times were good. Other than the great horrible wars and mass deaths and... But other than that, it was a really good time. We, we have to remember how good the good old days really were. With depression, people starving, and <laughs> they, here's the, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm sort of derailing here, right at the, the uh, beginning here. There were no good old days. We thought there were good old days, because when we thought that there were good old days, we were kids! So of course, it seemed like there were good old days, but it didn't exist. They were good old days because we didn't realize what was happening in the world. We were children! at the time. That's why they're good old days! Because we were playing with Legos and pickup sticks! There were never actually any good old days. Tired of everyone. Oh, let's go back to the good old days! Okay, well how about fuck you, and they never existed, and you need to get your head out of this infantile cloud that you're breathing, because it's noxious, and it's stopping you from, I don't know, progressing as a human being, or maybe just thinking clearly. Huh? Can, can we try to do that for just a second? And the internet is not something that's bad, that's, that's bringing us down. It's actually giving us an opportunity to not only sit through the really horrible uh, results of human existence in, in thought and action, but also the share of worthwhile thoughts. Few and far between, I'll admit it. You have to sit through a lot of porn to get to them, but they're there. We can actually share ideas without having to worry about persecution or, or uh, anything else that, that comes with it negatively. Of course, when, if you're in the United States and, well, you just understand that all of those free thoughts that you're researching, porn included, are going to be searched through by your own freedom-loving government for the freedom of the nation, which in and of itself is a completely different argument, and I've digressed enough. Maybe I should get back to said article. Let's see here. <laughs> it's going to be one of those nights for me. Uh, the internet has led to a sharp rise in demand for exorcists. <laughs> the Roman Catholic Church has warned. Here's what I like. News are, see, when I when I grew up, okay, uh, I, I <laughs> little transparency here. I'm I'm struggling at the moment because fury is like <laughs> capping out here. Uh, when I was a young man, I would uh, I, I recall myself coloring in my <laughs> Superman coloring books, and uh, Grandma and my mother uh, doing dishes, and my grandpa calling from the TV room is what they called it, and it was an old uh, 
black and white projected TV, and he would say, uh, Adam, come in here and watch the news with me. I had no idea what that meant. The only thing I thought, and still to this day, of, of worth of that was that I was spending time with my grandfather, a World War II veteran, uh, a man who was known to tell dirty jokes at inappropriate moments. So, of course, I loved him. <laughs> I was named after him, uh, my middle name. And uh, he lived too short. Point of this um, is that the, in this time, news were, were things that actually occurred, that actually happened, and then, and then people objectively reported them to the masses. This nude article... <laughs> nude? It's already that time of the night. Uh, this news article is reporting about something that others have warned about. Not something that's actually happened, but something that people have warned about. So that's where news has come. We move into a technological society that demands we need news. This very second, every second of the day, we're at a 24-hour news cycle, and so everyone has to report on something new, and you have to break every story before it comes out, and it leads to no news at all. Nothing of worth is coming out of this. This article is proof positive, but I want to bring it to you, not just because it allows me to digress in such a <laughs> elaborate fashion as I have, but because I do think there's something of worth. So, this is by Nick Squires in Rome. Shocker. The web has made it easier than ever before to access information on devil worshipping and the occult, experts said. Exorcism is the subject of a six-day conference being held this week at the Regina Apostolorum Pontifical University in Rome. I'm sorry, Pontifical, which is under the Vatican's authority. Quote, the internet makes it much easier than in past to find information about Satanism. Okay, okay. I gotta, I gotta stop. I'm sorry. I know you just want me to read the article, but I gotta, I gotta stop for a second here. They're making the old, and I shouldn't, I shouldn't be surprised. Someone like, you know, people from the Catholic Church have never gotten reality straight, so I, I shouldn't be surprised. But already, three paragraphs in, and, and, uh, Senior Nick Squires is, is shown to be as ignorant as any other moron on said internet. Uh, he's mixing devil worshiping and the occult with Satanism, which, what do we have to do? What do we have to do to explain that we haven't already, that Satanism has nothing to do with devil worshiping? We don't even believe in the devil. It doesn't, it doesn't exist. It, what, the Catholic Church are the ones that believe in the devil. They're the ones that see this imaginary evil creature. We don't. So we can't be devil worshippers, by definition! Aside from that, the occult, please! We are rational thinking human beings. We understand that the world is made up of, of scientific laws. Not all of which we've really truly understood, but they, it's all explainable. We don't have to worry about mystical this or spiritual that, which occultism is steeped in. They're silly with it. We, on the other hand, grab 
reality by the balls and say you are mine. And yet, <laughs> we're nearing 50 years here, people, of saying the exact same story, never once deviating. And in fact, a few short years after the formation of the Church of Satan, the Stand Bible was published, saying the exact same thing that we're saying nowadays. And still, 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 people don't get it. I know in life that you want things to be a certain way, but at some point you have to realize that reality says no. It is not the way you want it. This is the way it is. Satanism is. We... <laughs> Am I the only one feeling this? I'm like so aggravated at this. Alright, so uh, <laughs> a member of the university who specializes in the dangers posed by young people to young people by Satanism. Oh. What are the dangers of rational thinking? What are the dangers of questioning all things? Not just religious dogma. But the very nature of reality, applying the scientific method to everything in life, is that dangerous? I mean, it's, it's dangerous if you want to keep people in ignorance. It's dangerous if you want people to be slaves. It's dangerous then. And so in that context, I understand why the Catholic Church would see the spread of Satanism as dangerous, even though... What they're defining as Satanism is not. Stepping back and taking it from my stance, I don't see a negative there. In just a few minutes, you can contact Satanist groups and research occultism. The conference is not about how to become an exorcist. It's to share information about exorcism, Satanism, and sects. It's to give help to families and priests. There's a particular risk of young people who are in difficulties or who are emotionally fragile, says Mr. Clamati. I thought, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I thought the Catholic Church realized that exorcism wasn't a real thing. That since the dawn of psychiatric care... There was really no need for exorcism. In fact, it was only Hollywood that allowed such a notion to continue to exist. Hmm. But then this is coming from a group that thinks Satanism is devil worship, so I guess I shouldn't be surprised. The object of seminars was to scrutinize the phenomenon of Satanism with seriousness and scientific rigor. Okay, you know what? You don't get to say that. You are not allowed, Catholics, to even mention scientific rigor or serious examination. You believe in an invisible man who created the world 6,000 years ago who has 10 rules that you can't break and who was always broke. You don't get to say scientific rigor because what you think of scientific is what a three-year-old thinks of architecture while playing with their Legos. You don't get it! There are principles. There are processes that go so far beyond that if you actually believed that, if you actually used it to examine your own thoughts, you wouldn't be Catholic! And I'm not 
saying that as <laughs> an admitted uh, atheist, a proud Satanist. I'm saying that as a human being. If you applied the scientific method to your religion, you would not be in said religion. You would realize it was all made up. If you applied a little bit of history with it, you wouldn't even need the scientific method. But let's just say scientific method alone. You would have ruled out the reality of your invisible beings. They give you power when you need it, when you're lost in the woods to find your way home. Or to give you that bike that you really wanted on your third birthday. It continues, avoiding a superficial or sensational approach. He said, well, yes, let's examine exorcism without sensationalism, because that's really something that's possible, isn't it? The conference in Rome has brought together more than 60 Catholic clergy. <laughs> it's f You know, people often ask... Uh, <laughs> people often ask... Uh, numbers of membership in the Church of Satan. Because what we like to do as human beings is equate legitimacy with followers, with, with quantity. So if you have hundreds of thousands of people in your fold, then you are legitimate, then you're real. If you have tens, then you're not. Well, they have 60 clergy. 60! <laughs> and this is seen as legitimate? Really? Really? Oh, I'm sorry. As well as doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists, teachers, youth workers, to discuss how to combat the dangers of devil worship. Okay, I agree. Devil worship is futile. There's no reason to allow those people. Because, and here is something that I hope you come to terms with through your study. It is as counterproductive as God worship. Hmm? Hmm? You will have as much success praying to the devil for your will to be done, then you have praying to your God, oh, various angels or past loved ones, to get things done. It is two sides of your own manufactured coin. So you cannot examine one and talk about the absurdity or the dangers without looking at the other and recognizing the mirror reflection. Organizers say the rise of Satanism has been dangerously underestimated in recent years, if it were to be so. Now, there's no denying that with the spread of truth and information with the internet, it is easier than ever to get accurate information on Satanism and Satanism has steadily been growing. There is not the sudden surge in it. Now, what I would be interested in is how they would define devil worship. Because if it means atheism, if it means not being an active member or said believer in religion, well then yes, there would be a dangerously high occurrence rate in recent years. There's been a revival, said Gabrielle Nani, a former exorcist and another speaker at the chorus. I have to say, if, if on your resume, if on your business card, it says, it says exorcist, um, 
I would immediately discount you for a hack. <laughs> I think most rational thinking human beings would. And I'm going to include the majority of Catholics, which is probably why you could only get 60 clergy members to attend this little shindig of yours. But Vatican official, hold on, I'm sorry. In theory, any priest can perform an exorcism, a rite involving prayers to drive the devil out of the person said to be possessed. An exorcist should be called when the moral certainty has been reached that the person is possessed, said Father Nani, a member of the Vatican's Congression for the Causes of Saints. Huh, I wonder, I wonder what are the rules? that you would have to examine to come to a moral certainty that an individual is possessed. That'd be interesting to find out. It could be indicated by radical and disturbing changes in the person's behavior and voice. Interesting. Or an ability to garble in foreign languages or nonsensical gibberish. Hmm. Most children I know do that. While the number of genuine cases of possession by the devil <laughs> remain relatively small. Zero. We must be on guard because occult and Satanist practices are spreading a great deal, in part with the help of the internet and new technologies that make it easier to access these rituals, he said. <laughs> so in his mind there's this massive group of human beings finding these imagined devil uh, embedding rituals practicing them being possessed by said devils and then escaping the majority of people on this planet to be recognized and only a certain few out of the millions and millions of people on this planet only 60 can really recognize them and with hard-hitting and specific examples of what it means to be uh, <laughs> possessed as they've given radical and disturbing changes in behavior <laughs> or an ability to garble in foreign languages or nonsensical gibberish, well then why don't we just see it more often? You would think we would be crazy, silly, with with dem dem demonically possessed people on this planet. I'm possessed right now. Fucking idiots. The Vatican's chief exorcist. It infuriates me that we have a multinational corporation called the Vatican. And someone with a business card under their name that says Chief Exorcist. He claimed last year the devil lurked in the Vatican, the very heart of the Catholic Church. You have to create... This is high school 101. No drama? One must create said drama. Then you can be on top of drama and in the forefront. Father Gabriel Amorth said people who are possessed by Satan vomit shards of glass and pieces of iron. We see that all over, right? Scream, dribble, and slobber. Hmm. Utter blasphemies. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> and have to be physically restrained. I gotta tell you, I don't know anyone when approached by a series of Catholic priests who wouldn't have to be physically restrained. Because threat of rape is extremely high 
in said instance. He claimed that the sex abuse scandals which have engulfed the church in the U.S., Ireland, Germany, and other countries were proof that the Antichrist was waging a war against the Holy See. He said Pope Benedict uh, believed wholeheartedly in the practice of exorcism. Okay, wait a second. Wait a second. Are you telling me that your priests who have raped children and your refusal to punish them, to get them out of your order, now you're going to blame on Satan. Now, after years and years of physical assault, of pedophilia, of child rape, now you're going to blame it on someone else? Oh no, it's not our problem. Us Catholics aren't the problem who completely ignore the problem or just shuffle the offending priests to third world countries because who cares if their children get raped? No, no, we're going to ignore it. We're going to say it's, yeah, an international devil ex conspiracy. Yes, the masses out there. They are performing imaginary rituals to infuse themselves with the devil and then infect the Vatican itself and then rape children. I don't think so, Tim. And it is infuriating that you would even suggest such nonsense and not take the goddamn responsibility for your own followers! This is the denial of cancerous agents in tobacco all over again. This is something that is killing people. This is something that is damaging them for their entire life. Starting about it, a cycle of abuse that does not end with your priests raping children, but those children will then follow suit to rape other children because that is what in their heads they think is okay to do. What you need to realize is that more than drugs, more than anything, sexual abuse begins a cycle. It's not a one-off. It would be horrible if it was, but it's much more than that. It is not a one-off, and it will continue until that individual is incarcerated or killed. Period. There is no curing it. So by you allowing one priest to rape a child, you are starting a chain reaction of pain and suffering on this planet that no matter how many times you pray, will not wipe away. You are the cause. Stop pointing to an imaginary person, an imaginary bad guy. Stop blaming something like, I don't know, the freedom and dissemination of information and the sharing of scientific facts as the problem. You are the problem. You are the cancer. And I got a little more angry than I thought I would. <laughs> it is infuriating though, right? Like, am I the only one here? It's... All right, holy shit. That, sorry, that, that was a long rant. Uh, okay, let's go to the next one really quick here. LA Times, 
U.S. Extends Closure of Diplomatic Posts in Muslim World by Paul Richter. And this was posted August 4th. The State Department said Sunday that it was extending the closure of 19 embassies and consulates in the Muslim world through next Saturday, but not solely because of heightened concerns about terrorist attacks in the region. Jin Sakai, a department spokeswoman, said the posts would be closed through the end of the week because of many uh, going uh, to be closed anyway for much of the period because of the Eid holiday, which comes at the end of the Ramadan holy month. She said in a statement that the move was also ordered because the department wanted to apply an abundance of caution in the aftermath of intelligence reports indicating the possibility of an attack from an Al-Qaeda-related terrorist organization. This is not an indication of a new threat system, merely an indication of our commitment to exercise caution and take appropriate steps to protect our employees, including local employees and visitors to our facilities facilities, she said in a statement. The posts affected by the extended closings are, and they list a whole bunch of posts all around the Middle East. The department announced late last week that it was closing 21 posts because of the risk of an attack. Attention is centered on the group Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, based in Yemen, which is the only group in the region to show sustained interest in striking U.S. interests in the region. Uh, so, War on Terror, successful? Hey, we won! Woo! Wait, no. Um, <laughs> uh, the War on Terror started in 01, and, uh, well, very much like the War on Drugs, no end in sight. Is there ever going to come a time when people stop thinking that we can eradicate thoughts we don't like? I can't help but think... The U.S. government attacking terrorism is much like the Catholic religion attacking devil worship. I mean, in both instances, they're the cause of said terrorism. And yes, I said that. American influence in other countries is the cause of terrorism. They don't hate us because we have Dairy Queen people. They hate us because we kill their children. It's true. You may not like it. It may not be a popular idea. But it's the truth. We kill civilians in other countries. We do it all the time. And with President Obama's expanded drone use, we have done it more now than ever before. It's horrible. And we are the cause of the majority of all terrorist attacks in the region against us. It's never a situation where a bunch of shepherds wake up one morning and say, we must uh, attack uh, countries very much far across the sea for no legitimate reason other than the fact that Allah told us to. That doesn't happen. There's no such thing as that. What happens is their children their cousins, their friends' brothers are killed, and then they seek revenge. It's that simple. <laughs> so, the war on terror. Is it ever going to stop? Well, when are we going to stop bombing people? Because that will be the beginning. Then, of course, after, we will have... Those are my keys dropping to the floor. Uh, then, of course, after that, we will have many years of having to fight it. But... 
we have to realize that our continued murdering of civilians is the fuel for the terrorists' fires. They are using that. So yeah, there are people that hate us because of what we have and what we do, but they're the minority. We are the ones breeding these terrorists. We were the ones that trained Bin Laden that started this whole thing in the first place. We have to, at some point, realize this. And if you've realized it, take action on it. Own up to it. I love my country. But for fuck's sakes, how long are we going to dance this ridiculous dance? We look like Elaine on Seinfeld, kicking our feet out like freaks with our thumbs in the air, thumbs in the air and the rest of the world is looking at us like we're retards, because you know what? We're acting like retards. Learn to dance, America! Little Seinfeld <laughs> meta <laughs> information there. I hope you got that, people. Oh, man. No, it's it's infuriating, too. Like, on one hand, I'm complaining about an organization that, with made-up beliefs to control the world that is the richest organization in the world, yet acting like they care about helping homeless, in which case they're never actually selling any of their possessions to help. And then we're an organization that causes terror and then says we're going to fight terror, and then it's like this vicious cycle. Like, we're doing the exact same thing. Oh, if it were as simple as just taxing us. <laughs> to make us go away. Hey, how about the freedom of internet information dissemination to stop and fight terrorism? How about we focus on that? Could we get 60 priests together for that? Can I get a hallelujah? <laughs> Please? <laughs> and am I the only one with just exhaustion of hearing about a new Al-Qaeda threat? I, I can't be the only one. I'm just so tired of hearing about it as if it's New, exciting, important news. And I don't care if these embassies were going to be closed down anyway, or if they just closed down in prevention of, of, of having another uh, of our you know most recent uh, embassies being attacked and uh, the ambassadors being killed. We don't want another one of those. I, I get it. I get it. But the more we respond to these people, these fanatics, in ways like this, the more we let them know that their behavior affects ours, the more emboldened they're going to feel, and the more they're going to want to affect our behavior. If you give a bully control for a day, your entire life is controlled by them. We cannot continue not only a allowing them to affect our behavior, but more to the point, we have to stop creating them. Our policies are the ones doing it. And I don't see a difference between closing all of our foreign embassies and stopping the bombing that's creating the terrorists. I know some people are going to argue, well, if we stop that, then we're giving in to the terrorists. Well, we're doing that now by closing our embassies on threat of an attack. So if we're going to do it anyway, how about we just cut the root out rather than just the leaves? Huh? How about it? Alright. And with that, you've heard me <laughs> pitching. I don't mean to yell at you, the listener, and I hope you don't think that I am. I'm just passionate about this, and the, especially the Catholic bullshit. And, I, you know, I, I tend to rant, so I hope you're okay with it. If not, I'm sure you just won't listen to the next podcast. Um, so let's go ahead and dive into the creature feature. I had a wonderful discussion with Reverend Shiva Rodriguez, 
uh, support the cause, people. And as a footnote, wasn't I Dream of Jesse fucking amazing? I love that girl. All right, uh, let's dive into the creature feature. What's this show called? What do you mean, what is it called? You know, what's the name of the show? What, like the title? What, what's the title of the show? Is that what you're asking me? Yeah, what's the big deal? What's the title of the show? Look, it should be good enough for you and for any of you other generation Y's or X's or W's or Z's or, or, or whatever fancy letter you're, you're sitting on today to, to realize that it's not about what the title is. It's not about... When I was your kid, there's only one thing that we had growing up. When we wanted to watch a show, we just turned on the telly uh, in Saturday mornings, and you know what we got? Do you know? Do you have any idea that what we got? No, I have no idea. Why are you freaking out? Every single Saturday, and we didn't know what shows were, what what titles were, or or what. We, we had no choices on what to watch. We were stuck with the creature feature, and so are you. Welcome to another creature feature. Today, I'm being joined by Reverend Rodriguez. We're gonna be talking to her about her current. I guess in the middle of project predatory moon. If you recall last December, I believe it was the second we had spoken about this project coming up and it was this uh, new horror movie that um, Reverend Rodriguez was uh, taking on. And now it's, it's hot and it's done and it's, there's still some uh, sort of things to wrap up, but uh, I guess some of the principal photography is done. We're about 85% done on that. Wow. Well, let's talk a little bit about, uh, as a bit of a refresher for the audience, um, if they might not remember, what a, well, first of all, thank you so much for joining me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, always a pleasure. Always just diving right into things. So, um, for those who either missed the last interview we had on Predatory Moon or those uh, just joining us uh, that are new to the podcast period, what is Predatory Moon? Predatory Moon is a um, independent werewolf film, and we're going back to the old school style of, uh, you know, real story, uh, not a lot of fantasy, the settings are very real, the characters are very realistic, and our creatures are all being done with uh, practical effects instead of all that CG and morphing stuff that you see so much nowadays. That's very, very cool. And what what made you want to... um do uh create a movie in this way rather than the traditional CGI way? Well, professionally, I'm a practical effects artist, so uh, if I went with CGI, I'd kind of put myself out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> so, pretty- And um, I know a lot of people, too, that were you know, complaining about all the CG and really wanting to you know get back to the roots when it comes to the classic horror type of uh, creatures. So I thought, hey, might as well give it a shot. I always wanted to do a werewolf transformation anyway as an effects artist, so I said, okay, we'll write one of those in. Nice. And, w- I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you were the director for this as well, correct? Yes, I was. <laughs> Still am, technically. Yeah, yeah, it's not finished. So, I mean, we had we had talked briefly about what it was like to take on a project. Well, now that you have done the majority of it, how was it directing? Normally, I 
I'm used to just walking onto a film set and killing off a few people and then leaving quietly. <laughs> and this time I had to be there all the time <laughs> for every meeting, every little scene. So it was an experience. And um, the crew and, and the cast that we had are just, I can't express enough how amazing they were. Uh, they all knew that this was my first time directing. And a lot of them had more experience than I did, you know, just in film in general. And of course, you know, being that I specialized in effects, I didn't know anything about camera work or anything like that. Uh, Reverend uh, Gareth Pettibun was my director of photography, so he was able to literally hold my hand and walk me through this process when it came to, you know, planning out camera angles and what we could and couldn't do and breaking the fourth wall. Well, Things I'd never, you know, really got into before. Yeah. And once I got out there and started working with the actors and just kind of took my own style to do that, and everybody was just incredible. That's that's really great. What do you think the hardest part was directing your first time? Uh, trying to do the effects and direct at the same time. In fact, um, after we finished the bulk of principal photography back in May, um, <laughs> we've been kind of sneaking out on the weekends and reshooting some scenes and just letting me handle the effects. And um, I let Gareth co-direct for me on scenes. I found out I can't really do both. <laughs> and that was definitely the hardest thing. Yeah. Did you find, I mean, as an artist, I find you're always most critical of your own work anyway, but because you also had the director hat, do you think there was a little more heightened awareness about things? Um, well, yeah. And I also... Part of my way of directing is getting a lot of input from the people around me, because I also recognize that I'm not going to see everything. Uh, talking to other directors, I hear that some are you know, more technical directors and they're more worried about camera angles, and, you know, how the camera's moving. And then other people are uh, actor-directors and they're more interested in the performance from the actors. I tend to fall more in the latter category, so I, you know, really looked at my crew like, okay, how can we make this shot more interesting now that I got the actors being perfect? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Last December when we spoke, you were running an Indiegogo campaign uh, to raise money for just the the filming uh, in and of itself, just to get the movie going. Now you're doing it again, and this is actually, um, I guess is a, I don't know, like, like a bonus where you want to really make the most of this movie. So this one is called, if you go to Indiegogo.com, um, you can just search Werewolves of Predatory Moon, but it's called Help the Werewolves of Predatory Moon. So can you talk to us a little bit about this fundraiser? Oh, sure. Um, well, what happened was um, once we got the movie going, and we had an original plan to just use uh, uh, cables and puppetry for the creatures and actors and werewolves. And as we got going and we started, you know, working on locations and more and more people joined our crew and we found out that our actors were brilliant. And the film turned out to be so much better than I ever expected that um, my effects makeup person and I sat down and then we brought in my husband who does a little bit of robotics work. And we all sat down and said, let's make the creatures even better than what we had originally planned. So we got together with a few other people to, you know, drop some plans, and uh, then I got on the line with uh, Daniel Bird, who designed the creatures, and told him that we could go, you know, balls out with it if we were going to go robotic with it. 
So he came up with some great sketches for, you know, more things we could do for the transformation and, uh, you know, other things we can get the creature to do. And we sat down and said, okay, well, this is going to go way over budget. <laughs> so we um, decided to try another Indiegogo campaign, and hopefully if we can reach our goal, we can do pretty much everything we want to with the creatures. And if we don't reach our goal, we'll do what we can with the creatures. Yeah. So um, this actually ends on the 1st of September. And as with the last Indiegogo campaign and virtually every just traditional crowd fundraising um, uh, plan, there, there's always different levels of contribution. So uh, you have it broken up here um, pretty well, actually, ranging from uh, just $5 uh, all the way down, I'm scrolling down the website here, um, all the way to a thousand. And you have appropriate, uh, incentives, benefits for each of those. Um, but I, you know, the audience, you should really should just go and check it yourself. Cause I don't want to really run down the list of, you know, what are some of the benefits you get at this fundraising or this donation level. So the goal that you have set on this is, uh, actually rather specific here. It's, it's, 3,875. That's what you want to get. And you have 31 days left to do it. Um, you got a pretty good start out the gate, it looks like. Um, do you think that this is a realistic goal that you will be able to accomplish everything that you want to? Well, it's hard. I mean, we, we sweated it for a bit and we figured we've got some pros and cons. Uh, we've got cons in the fact that we're still very much a dark horse company. I mean, we're not, you know, like one of these celebrities who are doing Indiegogos or, you know, raising millions of dollars. Yeah. Which I'm personally am against. If you have, you know, three vacation homes, you can afford to fund your own move. <laughs> um, but at the same time, we are almost, you know, we're almost done with this. It's not like uh, we're just starting up going, hey, give us money so we can make a movie. We can actually show people that, yeah, we have shot 85% of this, but we do have a very solid plan on what we want to do with our creatures. And we're hoping that people who, you know, have been complaining about all the CGI, the more people go, hey, let's throw some money at these guys. Yeah. <laughs> See an actual, you know, realistic werewolf movie. What was the hardest part? I mean, you're, you're an effects, um, traditionally an, uh, an effects um, professional. So what was the hardest part of just creating the werewolf that you have now? Um, well, the one we have now is, is Scruffy. He's our attack puppet. <laughs> and he's my first time building something that large that was going to take a beating. I mean, in the film itself, we've already shot all the scenes with him. And he only appears on screen for a couple seconds. He was built to grab, bite, and get a beat. Mm -hmm. So you could punch him, throw him across the room. In fact, we did when we were testing him. We were literally throwing him at the wall <laughs> to make sure he wouldn't break. Yeah. And uh, it took about three weeks for me to build because I really was kind of flying blind. I had never built anything like it before. And, you know, a lot of trial and errors, a lot of fiberglass underskulls that ended up in the garbage. Wow. But eventually he started coming together, and then he's been kind of being used as our model to determine where we're going to put the robotics and how we're going to, you know, build the masks that the actors will wear when they're playing the creatures. So, how, do you do you have more than one actor that's going to be playing the creatures? Yeah, we've got a couple werewolves. Okay, so I guess that was the the obvious next question: is there's yeah, more than one there's werewolf? More than one werewolf. <laughs> that's cool. 
What was what was your inspiration? Would be saved a werewolf of Purgatory. Yeah, yeah. What was your inspiration for this film originally? I mean, other than wanting to do it, did you have other movies that you looked at, thinking I want to do something like that? Well, I, I don't know if you'd call it my inspiration, but I was getting utterly disgusted with what I was the direction I was seeing werewolves going nowadays. Oh, so desperation, <laughs> desperation. <laughs> like a, you know. Um, uh, I don't know what you would call that, the exact opposite of yeah. inspiration. Um, but no, the, the main thing really, what really got me started on, on writing a werewolf film was just because I really wanted to try a, a transformation that's notoriously difficult, and I just thought, hey, what a challenge. Yeah. But I also wanted, like, a real story. I didn't want, you know, vampires versus werewolves. There's no vampires in this whatsoever. <laughs> Um, I didn't want fantasy. I wanted, you know, what would it be like to live in a world where you know, there are, you know, there's something out there in the woods and you can't identify what it is. And worse, what happens if you find out you're becoming one of these things? Yeah. Oh, exciting. Um, well, okay, so I, I'm talking just for the audience really quickly here. Um, I'm talking with Reverend Rodriguez and we're talking about her uh, film that she is uh, virtually finished with called Predatory Moon and uh, the new Indiegogo campaign Save the Werewolves of, Pred- um, of Predatory Moon in order to raise just that extra extra bit of money to really, really make this a fantastic uh, werewolf transformation and experience for the audience. Um, I remember last time we were talking, and I mean, you were filming this in Florida, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. So the summer had to be pretty, pretty blistering hot. <laughs> well, we we shot Prince, but we started on the full moon in April, uh, April twenty fifth. Uh, we started shooting, and then we shot up until the last day of uh, May, and then we've kind of taken a break because it was getting way too hot out there. Uh, we were already getting attacked by mounds of mosquitoes and ticks out in the woods. Jeez. We didn't want to add heat stroke to that. <laughs> and, I mean, we have gone out a couple times, like, um, not this last weekend, but the weekend before we went out and went on location to reshoot a scene. And I know we're planning on reshooting a few other little scenes here and there before we start resuming our regular shooting schedule in October. And if we end up with a really hot October, we'll push that back to November just for the safety of the actors. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's got to be. Florida sun is brutal on werewolves. <laughs> so that's got to be pretty, pretty bad to be uh, decked out in a full costume and in uh, just yeah. muggy heat. <laughs> that's 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 exactly it. I mean, it was bad enough just having um, when it was getting closer to June, and we would have the uh, characters in in uh, just regular clothing out there, you know, in the woods for you know. Gosh, sometimes the eight hours at a time, you just wanted to die. Wow. Wow, so uh, any crazy bloopers from from the experience? Um, Yeah. Um, The one that comes readily to mind and that my cast and crew will never let me forget, um, how X-rated can I get here? As much as you want. Um, we were doing a big scene, one of the biggest scenes as far as how many people are on set is concerned. Uh, yeah, basically it's a funeral scene. Mm-hmm. So we had a bunch of mothers with their kids, and we had a bunch of actors there, and everybody was acting all somber. And in the scene, one of the characters very upset about uh, the dead, you know, the circumstances that caused the dead person. And he goes off, and he uses the uh, he uses the word cunt. 
<laughs> ad libbing. After I had hired to um, to play this character, I already knew that he could, you know, go ballistic because I'd worked with him before. But for some reason, he was a little bit reserved when he was saying that particular line. <laughs> so after I yelled "cut," without even thinking about it, I ended up turning it and saying quite loudly to him across the room. Hey, I'd like you to go a little harder on the cunt. <laughs> the first person to laugh was my mother. <laughs> Suddenly just erupting laughing, you know, 35 people laughing at me. <laughs> Everyone covering their kids' ears. I'd really said that. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Is that on tape? I mean, you said cut, but... Oh, yeah, that was the line. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> That would be a great Easter egg right after the credits roll. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it ended up being the phrase of the day. Um, every day we would, um, while we were shooting principal, we had a group photo that we posted up on our website, and then we would have whatever the phrase of the day was. Usually it was something like, is that a tick? Or, you know, <laughs> hey, it's still your debt, but that day, that was the phrase of the day. Yeah. Did are you ever worried the the more fun you have, the less it's going to be able to, I don't know, maybe this is just me from the outside, but I would be afraid that if I was having so much fun that it wouldn't turn out as serious and dark as it should. Actually, I believe just the opposite. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, some films I've worked on prior to this, you know, just as a crew member, uh, you didn't have fun and it really reads. Oh. It, it reads on camera. Uh, our crew, we all lived together for a month in May. <laughs> Things got really crazy. Um, you know, we dealt with some really dark material. And one of the things you kind of uh, let loose, you know, after you get done filming a really, really dark and disturbing scene, is everybody just jokes around and laughs and, you know, just has a good time with it to help ease the tension. If everybody gets along great, you don't have that resentment between like different crew members or the cast versus crew or anything like that. Yeah. Everybody's looking out because they love the project so much they don't want to stop filming it. I, mean, I think we had people that were about to go into tears when we went on hiatus. No, no. But um, you know, people care about the project so much that they want to give it their all, which is one of the reasons why we're you know, going to improve the werewolves now. Um, I've had, you know, when I was on set and people would come up to me and say, hey, can we do this, or people would come up and say, hey, I want to offer this to the film, and we'd end up, you know, production value went through the roof with what we were offered by people who just genuinely loved the group and wanted to make the film the best it could be. That's great. So you said you're going to be resuming in October, or in maybe even pushing it back depending on weather, to November. When do you see this project being finished? Um, it's going to be difficult to say. Um, I'm hoping to have it to the editors by December. And then our editor, who is fantastic, but he's also a professional, so we had agreed that he would take his paid work first and then work on ours in the medium. He's pretty much volunteering his skills for us because he always wanted to work on a werewolf movie. Cool. So I'm hoping that we'll be done with post probably like maybe February. Well. And uh, then we're going to try to get into some of the festivals. Wow. You ever going to make it out to uh, Sundance? We wish. <laughs> I have a feeling that we're not Sundance material. Uh, 
we've been looking at Viscera, and we've been kind of, you know, eyeballing Toronto, but we don't know if we'll get into that. Um, we don't know if we, you know, if we have the chops to. It's really hard for, you know, Dark Horse Productions to get into things. Yeah. It really does boil down to who you know, and sometimes who you blow. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, well, if you do make it out. It really does. <laughs> well. If you do end up making it out, I'll definitely have some uh, I'll have some homebrew for you guys <laughs> to enjoy. Yeah, I mean, we have had a couple people who are into distribution who have you know, taken interest in us immediately. And um, in fact, one of our actors who had to drop out at the last minute because his distribution company went crazy um, has told me pretty much I'm getting distribution whether I like it or not. Oh. Um, I just tell them that I want to do the festivals first, so I owe that to the actors to really get as much exposure as possible to them. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, where can people go to learn a little bit more about this project? Well, the best place to go would be our main website, which is www.predatorymoon.com, and that's where you'll see all the news as it happens. Um, You can also, when you... There's the website on the left-hand side. There's a link to the Indiegogo campaign. Um, you can also see, like, all the pictures that we took while we were on set, or at least the ones we're showing people. <laughs> there were an awful lot of naked people running around on our set for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, you know, little stories. And there are a couple of video clips from behind the scenes. We'll be posting more of those you know, throughout the year as well. Very cool. Well, uh, everyone, go check out Predatory Moon website. Uh, check out the Indiegogo campaign and help help make this werewolf even better with your contribution, even if it's just five bucks. But hey, if you got a spare thousand laying around, <laughs> there's some uh, pretty good benefits. Become a producer. Yeah, that would be very, very cool. I wish I could <laughs> if I had laying around. Um, Shiva, it's always an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. Hail Satan. But, you know, it's already way past an hour, so I'm going to go ahead and stop it right now. I'll do that on another episode. I hope you enjoyed it, people. I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the same net, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube, so look for us there. You can subscribe to 9cents via iTunes by searching 9cents, and don't forget to leave a rating and or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. The only way this podcast is going to live is if you tell a friend. Share 9 cents with your friends, enemies, tell your grandmother. Let's build this satanic... <laughs> I keep telling myself I will not say this. I'm going to say it one more time. Let's build this, this satanic ship from hell together. <laughs> I write down these little outros, and every time I'm like, i got to delete that. I never delete it, so I start reading it again. I'm like, yeah, maybe I should delete that. Help spread the word. That's the core of what you should be taking away from this. <laughs> and once again, thank you for joining me. And as always... I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, Hail Satan!